Welcome to the Utah Podcopalians, a podcast of the Episcopal Diocese of Utah. Now, this is where we look at our unique church in our unique land. And today, we want to talk about the season of Lent. That's where we are today, in the season of Lent, perhaps somewhat misunderstood, perhaps a little mysterious, but a wonderful time to think, to reflect, and to talk about it in a podcast. I'm Craig Worth of the Diocese. Nick Cockrell of the Diocese is on the controls, and perhaps we're going to get him involved in the conversation. And today, we have the Reverend Canon Mary June Nessler, the course director of St. George's College in Jerusalem, and a longtime Utah priest, as well as a background from other parts in this country, California, for example. And she is a wonderful person to talk about Lent because she is living in the place where Jesus lived, not far from where Jesus would have spent his time of reflection in the wilderness. And she has also taught theology to people in their study for ordination as a seminary dean at Claremont in California, and many, many people that she taught here in Utah. So with that background, I'm going to say welcome, welcome to the Reverend Canon Mary June Nestler. Thank you for being part of it. And let's just start with... I think one of the basic things that we think of in Lent, and when we start in Lent, people say, well, are you giving up chocolate? Now, Lent is deeper than that, I would assume. Hi, Craig, and hello, Nick, and hello uh, to good friends in the Diocese of Utah and beyond. It is a pleasure to be here, and yes, Lent is much more and giving up chocolate or giving up foods. I have friends who choose to be free of alcohol. Uh, I have folks who give up, uh, friends who give up meat for Lent. Uh, I know someone who once tried very hard to give up complaining through Lent. And we often think about the privation of Lent, but Lent is of course a, ser uh, a season of reflection, a season of preparing our hearts for the extraordinary joy of Easter and Easter as the queen of all feasts in the Christian year. Well, if that's the highest of the high, we need to enter something that is deep and thoughtful so that we can appreciate that extraordinary celebration of the resurrection of our Lord. We take a look at the secular world and we look that Easter really starts somewhere just after Christmas. You know, we start seeing the, the uh, I don't know, the peeps and the candy and all this and the baskets in the stores. And often people skip over Lent. And, and there are various religious traditions that don't observe or don't observe Lent perhaps as we do. What do you see that as Episcopalians or as Christians of, of all type that we gain by having this reflective time of Lent? One of the things we gain is, is liturgically when we go to church and or in this pandemic time when we are watching or participating uh, in church in different ways, we are still hearing the themes of Lent in the scripture lessons, in the prayers, 
we are living Lent in this pandemic time in a different way than perhaps we were in other years. We are more conscious of having a reflective time. We are conscious of the death and the suffering around us profoundly during this pandemic year. And so Lent has likely taken on a different meaning for us. In some ways, we've had nothing but Lent since the pandemic began. So this uh, pandemic, I mean, we're hard pressed to find good things about the pandemic. And I'm not suggesting, and I'm sure you're not suggesting that, thank God we had the pandemic, but should, what can we do? That's really an interesting point you bring up. What can we do to reflect back on the pandemic that will actually help us to have a joyous Easter, which is something that we do in Lynn. So what, what can we do as we look back at the pandemic, this unique time that we've had that will help us this year when April 4th comes and we have that joyous Easter? I would imagine everybody is praying more often, informally, formally. We have had to rely on our trust in God. Those who have faith have probably sought to practice their faith in different ways, perhaps with members of the family around a dining room table or reading the scriptures or spiritual things. I'll bet that we're reading the newspapers or online news differently. We're communicating differently. And so Lent uh, and the pandemic gives us a chance to go more deeply into our souls, into our psyches. We have been invited, if you will, the pandemic has invited or forced its way into our, uh, our thoughts. And we're, we're needing to say, do I trust in God? Do I look for salvation? Where do I find it? Where do I find comfort? Where do I find uh, resilience? And where in the life of my Lord Jesus can I look to, to be strengthened for these days and weeks and months ahead? One thing is I look at the Bible, which of course you've looked at the Bible word by word, paragraph by paragraph over and over again. I have looked um, perhaps listening and going back to Sunday school, confirmation class, and perhaps uh, in certain Bible studies, you've lived it and living it in Jerusalem. What you have just mentioned, those questions, they really seem to be reflective of questions that Jesus asked too. I mean, in the, in the scriptures, in the gospels, we hear of those. Uh, so is it the time that it's, shall we say, all right to ask questions? or even an obligation to ask questions. It's always all right to ask questions and perhaps we simply do so more deeply. Many of our congregations have special Bible studies, special gatherings during Lent, special uh, evening prayers during Lent. And those are always times uh, during our conversation together where we can ask questions. One of the places that I love the most, uh, because I live in Israel, I, I have an easy two or three hour access to the length and breadth of the country. And one of the places that I love to take pilgrims the most 
is out into the wilderness of Judea. It's between Jerusalem on the west and the Jordan River toward the east. And so I can go to bed at night saying my prayers and know that just 12 miles east is very likely the area where Jesus was for his 40 days of temptation. And that does something to the spirit. It takes you there both uh, in my dreams, in my uh, reflection, and also uh, in my daily uh, movement around the country. And what I find in that beautiful, barren, barren wilderness. And this is what surprised me when I first began going to Israel some nearly 40 years ago now. What surprises me about this wilderness is how at first glance, it is barren and one is very much alone. It is profoundly beautiful. In fact, it looks a lot like parts of Utah, but then you begin to inhabit it differently and you begin to hear how busy it is. You hear the birds, you hear the rushing of the deep, deep, deep Wadi Kelt uh, water spring down below you. The Wadi Kelt is that ravine that runs east-west in the middle of that uh, wilderness. And so you hear the distant rushing of the water, even some in the, in the hot summertime. You may encounter the braying of a donkey uh, for they live uh, in the wilderness. They're owned by the Bedouin who camp there and who are the sheep and goat and camel herders. And so you begin to realize that when we think about Jesus in the wilderness for the 40 days and 40 nights, and that is, of course, part of the reason that our Lent is 40 days and 40 nights uh, in imitation of Jesus's uh, experience of reliance on God's goodness. Um, I have begun to learn that it's very likely Jesus wasn't completely alone. When the angels come to minister to him at the end of that passage, um, I have often wondered who those angels were. Bedouin? who bring him food cooked on the fire, uh, the animals that may come to him for comfort or beauty. And so I think in Lent, what we can do is not only look for or, or experience privation, but when we experience privation, whether it's of food, whether it's of other things that we normally enjoy, what we often find is that things are present and always have been that we haven't noticed before. And that's the benefit of Lent as well. So listening more deeply, noticing more deeply and hearing the presence of God and experiencing the Holy Spirit for our renewal. That's Lent, that's the Lenten journey. It's fascinating. And I am one of those that have been lucky enough in this world to 
have been on the desert and the um, wilderness you describe, um, not in the depth that you have, but certainly and under your uh, care there and your instruction and your observation that um, has become something I'll never forget. But you know, one thing that it just when you were talking about that, that I recall, and I've never thought about this before, but what I felt out there and listening to was the wind. And, yes. and, and I know we talk about prayer and wind and, and all that, but that is something that touched me deeply was just the little breeze. And it wasn't gale force winds, but just kind of uh, listening for wind when out on that desert. You know, one question though that is, is unrelated to that, but it's all related to Lent. And that is when we just have been, you've been using the word Lent, I freely use the <laughs> word Lent. And it occurs to me in these 60 some years that I've been an Episcopalian, that nobody really said, do you know what Lent is? So let me start there. What does the word Lent mean? <laughs> Actually, it's, it can be quite surprising what Lent means. And the word Lent, even in some modern languages, means spring. So Lent, Lente in modern Dutch is the word for spring, as in the season of the year. But people think its deep origin is from the Germanic languages word to lengthen. And what is lengthening during this time of the year are the days. So we have come out of the darkest day of the year and we are moving toward the brighter days during the time of spring. Now, part of what's also happening is that cultures of the North, and of course, many of our customs come from the Northern hemisphere, when uh, as the days are lengthening, we don't yet have a first harvest. The harvest will be sown when the ground is uh, uh, defrosted enough to sow. But when Lent begins in most of the Northern Hemisphere, in the ancient times, uh, up until this century, people were, at, excuse me, people were, were eating the very last part of their stores of food that they had put up for the winter, they were really down to the very last nubs of food. And so privation was not something that they had always to choose, but rather they were experiencing it involuntarily. And anytime you have an involuntary uh, privation, you want to make something good of it. And they are looking forward not only to Easter and resurrection, they're looking forward to everything that comes with the first harvest, the, um, the first killing of the lambs uh, for the Passover feast, for the Christian feasts, the great uh, 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 feasting on Easter and the days beyond. Uh, and so it's about lengthening of expectations, and of the days into the growing uh, seasons of abundance. Now, the other thing that Lent does, it seems, is that it progresses. I mean, again, it's 40 days, 40 nights, uh, and then it's, it's progressing. And if we look at the gospel readings and all this, that they, 
they become a little more profound and a little darker as it were. And then suddenly it, Easter comes like in, in a five minute type <laughs> thing. I mean, we, we, we just yeah. explode it with Easter and suddenly the, our congregations, which of course have been online now, but if you can imagine your Zoom exploding into flowers and lilies and after all of the darkness, um, it, and you touched on it a little bit, but it certainly makes for a lot brighter Easter when we have a darker Lent almost, doesn't it? Absolutely. These are, these are standard opposites in the human experience, darkness and light, sorrow and joy, uh, famine and feasting. And the opposites only make sense when you have both sides of them. And so the human awareness, we appreciate abundance when we have either involuntarily or voluntarily chosen uh, privation or experienced it. I think um, the human spirit needs that. It's why we, I think of a, a high school, a senior who has been waiting and waiting and waiting to get that college acceptance email. And who they're now mostly all email instead of letters. And so you gather the family around the computer and you have a kind of ceremonial wait to push that email uh, button open and then to read that letter almost liturgically. That's a little time of Lenten waiting, a little bit of Advent and Lent waiting. Um, and, uh, but I don't want to lose a really, really important aspect of Lent we haven't yet mentioned. And that is the acknowledgement that we are sinful people that we're not yet perfected in Christ, that we are people who sin, who, uh, who, who separate ourselves willfully or not so willfully from the love of God, from the experience of the presence of God and how important it is to ask for God's forgiveness and also to ask for the forgiveness from our friends, our family, as we approach Easter together so that our joy at Easter can be unencumbered by those sins that sometimes sit heavily on our shoulders. Wow, that, that does bring up um, what we can do uh, and not just what we should be doing, but how do you think we should approach that? I know prayer, of course, and readings and all that, but that's a pretty heavy burden to ask that we and, and, and I know we do the general confession and once we come to Easter, we won't do the confession on Easter day, but what can we do other than reading that confession that as a family, as people, that we can rid ourselves of those, of those sins? What do you recommend? I think it's always important in Lent to think of those things that we can take on that need to be taken on uh, for our soul's health. So one of the things we can do is say, and particularly in this pandemic time, is to say, who do I need to reach out and touch? Who do I need to speak to? Send a text or email. That's very important. What family member have I not had a particularly good relationship with? How can I make 
amends. So atoning for one's sins uh, is always connected to taking action. Um, so there is that, that positive thing. Um, it can have to do with, I'm going to be more respectful of the body that God has given me. I'm going to begin a time of reflecting, how can I treat this mortal flesh, this gift of flesh uh, better than I have been? And perhaps taking on to do the things, and I don't mean dieting, but to do those things that we need to do to be more conscious of the gift of our embodiment. Um, I know people who are, uh, who deliberately during Lent take on uh, uh, some small kindness each day and they try to exercise it, whether it's being in line at the grocery store or whether it's sending a small gift to someone, that's a way of acknowledging I need to practice what it means to be a human being in the world. Something that I do because I'm such an avid, avid knitter, and during this pandemic, I've had much more time to knit, is um, I take on a little discipline of knitting and praying. And so each day, part of my knitting journey is being very conscious of what I need to pray about. And it helps to focus. And I try to pray for people that I know probably don't have many people praying for them. And since I'm living in Chicago during this pandemic winter, and like most major cities, homelessness is a major issue there, I try to choose a homeless person that I have walked past in recent days. And I try very consciously to pray for that person. And I have tried to learn the names of homeless people that I see each day so that I can pray for them and know what their, what their needs are. So that's the kind of thing that we can take on just in our daily lives. And it might be something that a family around the dinner table wants to do particular prayers for people uh, who are in need during Lent. So you, you, we know that it's self-reflection and we know that it's observing and taking stock of what you as a person does, but what you have now suggested that we expand that reflection from what's within to our world without, is that what you're saying a little bit that we could do that? Right, all spiritual practice begins with the heart and the mind begins with ourselves and God. And, and if it's an authentic spiritual practice, it will move uh, outward and we'll begin to see the world through different lenses. And in Lent, what I like to think about is that we wear Lent colored glasses and then we put on our Easter colored glasses and we see the world in technicolor. I, I always think of Lent, and this is just my own way of envisioning it. I think of Lent in black and white, a kind of sepia colored season perhaps. And then at Easter, the technicolor uh, of the first uh, color movies and how exciting those were. Wow. 
And, and just because you're here and you're here in the United States because of the pandemic, I mean, that um, unfortunately the activities at St. George's College, uh, like every, every place else in Israel, uh, were altered, locked down, and that you are here in the United States, which is our gain, but unfortunately the college's loss at this time. And so I know that um, you can only think of your land in Israel through your mind. And so just, um, I think it would be interesting to take advantage of what you know of that to kind of describe that land. You have a little bit about the barrenness of the wilderness um, to those who perhaps haven't had the opportunity to see it, but to, to walk that journey from um, uh, the Jordan River or the baptism and into the wilderness in in just distance in topography I know you're probably reliving those uh, that that era mm -hmm. area what is what is that that um, if you could just walk and uh, see what Jesus saw in that and I know despite the fact for 2,000 years past a lot of the area looks exactly the same doesn't it Oh, gosh, Craig, that is an awfully big thing to think about. And yes, I, I inhabit that land in my mind every minute of every day. I think what I'd like to say to approach an answer to that question is to say, is to back up just a little bit and to speak about how religious the land is. Because, okay. of course, there are Christians, uh, less than 2% of the population Christian. A Muslim, about 18, 19% of the land of Israel, much more than that in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. And then finally, Jews, 80% uh, of the state of Israel is Jewish. And there are others as well, uh, representative traditions, the Baha'i faith being one of them. But what I'd like to say about that is that when you go to Israel, West Bank, um, you are aware that people are wearing their religion on their sleeves. Um, and by that, I mean literally in their dress, you can decode who people are, whether they're Christian and what kind of Christian by what they wear, what kind of Muslim by what they wear, what kind of Jew. And then we feel free to practice our faith more openly in that place. And I have to say, there's an enormous about of amount of respect of each other's religious tradition in that place. And so as people inhabit the land, as I go from the north in Galilee to the south, uh, west to the Mediterranean coast, uh, over to the sea, uh, uh, the Dead Sea and the Jordan River, um, what I encounter is different ways of being religious people in different settings, whether it's the lush tropical feel of the north at the foot of Mount Hermon or the vast deserts, the Negev desert in the south, the Mediterranean climate in the west. And you are making little pilgrim journeys everywhere you go. And Jesus did that too. Jesus traversed the land and he would have learned, he would have prayed the land, he would have prayed with the peoples of the land. And it's an extraordinary thing 
to celebrate Lent with other Christians, with Christian groups from across the world. Now, last Easter, of course, we were on lockdown like most of the world was. And for the first time in 800 years, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where the tomb of Christ is located, that great church was literally closed. The cathedral in Jerusalem, the Anglican cathedral, was closed. How did we do an Easter service with a handful, literally fewer than five of us present online and still have the joy of Easter time? And believe me, it made us have to dig deep. And there is something that I know from that experience, from having gone through a a Lent and an Easter in Jerusalem where there were no pilgrims and the churches were closed. What a strange experience. And we all had to reach deep, 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 deep to find that Easter joy. It was hard. And that's part of the learning, I think, from this pandemic here in that land. And we're all experiencing that. Wow, so this is the unique year to talk about Lent, and let's hope that it's the unique year and that next year we are uh, maybe observing Lent in a little different environment. And it's it's hard to believe we've, we've certainly gone the length of this podcast, but um, I also always like to get uh, uh, my comrade in all this, uh, Nick uh, Cockrell, to what he might have a question or a comment or observation after listening to us for this half hour. Nicholas, anything you want to ask, add, or observe throughout this conversation? Um, I don't think I have any specific questions. I just wanted to say thank you for sharing your experiences and how you think we can experience this Lenten season and Easter together during this untraditional time. One specific thing that really stuck out to me that I was reflecting on was just taking this time to care for our own bodies and use this as an opportunity to be thankful for that gift that we've been given. And I actually had never thought of it in that context before. It was always some, that, that context that I was taught growing up. It's something to give up. But there's so much to gain from, from that approach as well. And I just really appreciated that and wanted to say thanks for opening my mind to that aspect of it. You're welcome. You're welcome. And I think that uh, that type of blessing almost that we have got to all have received from the Reverend Canon Mary June Nestler, our guest today, is, is very profound. It is pastoral and it is uh, informative and it is helpful as we continue our observance of Lent and to let you know that you have been listening to the Utah Podcapalians. And that is our diocesan podcast to look at the unique land and the unique church. And then we can add at this unique time. I'm Craig Worth of the Diocese, and thanks a lot for listening.